Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Today we begin a new sermon series. First Timothy. The tagline for This series is very simple, sound doctrine and the church. It is very important for us as believers to know doctrine. We should be able to tell the difference between what is sound doctrine and what is unsound doctrine and how it applies to us, the body of believers, a.k.a. the church. Let's pray. Lord, We are so thankful to be able to even be in a relationship with you, mimicking the lyrics from one of our songs this morning. It's your faithfulness. It's your righteousness. Thank you for giving us your faithfulness and righteousness so we could be saved through the work of Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. A contrarian is a person who opposes or rejects popular opinion, a person who would go against a common practice, what's commonly accepted, a contrarian would definitely go against this practice. So as you see this image on the screen, this individual is saying, I can't help but be somewhat of a contrarian. See, for example, when you see a rainbow flag, what's your first thought? I mean, when we see a rainbow flag, our first thought should be God's promise. But since this world takes a contrarian view to God's word and God's truth, what do we now see ourselves seeing when we observe a rainbow flag? What is our first thought when we see that flag? See, it's extremely important that we don't allow these things to creep into the church. And that's the reason why we say sound doctrine and the church. If we know sound doctrine, we can prevent these things from happening with our gatherings. Now, the world's going to continue to do what the world does because, after all, the world is full of contrarians when it comes to the gospel. They take the contrary view of what we would say is the gospel. Because we understand as believers, we are actually are hell-deserving sinners going back to the reason why it's His righteousness, it's His faith, and we understand that. Brothers and sisters, we can't forget that we were all once born contrarians to God. The gospel perspective is the proper worldview, and then until we had the interaction with Christ, we entered into that personal relationship with Him, we viewed the world the same way the world views the world. We didn't view the world from a gospel perspective. And what we're going to see today in our text is just that. We're going to observe contrarians of sound Doctrine. That is the title of our sermon this morning. We're going to be in 1 Timothy, as stated earlier. We're beginning our sermon series in 1 Timothy. 
We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. And in this new sermon series, like I said, it is all about sound doctrine and the church. So we will be covering that in its entirety. Sound doctrine leads to a sound heart, and that's something we can't forget today. And that's the reason why it's really so important. Because after all, the Holy Spirit resides in our hearts. And if we know sound doctrine, it's going to lead us in the direction of having a sound heart. Because unsound doctrine leads to, you guessed it, an unsound heart. That would be the contrarians. So really, if you don't have a gospel perspective when you look at the world, you're unsound, you're unstable. There's no foundation that you stand on. And after all, who who wants to go back to how we came out anyway? I don't want to go back to my first birth, to my mother being that rebel, that contrarian. I'm born again, according to John 3, when Jesus had his encounter with Nicodemus, when Nicodemus came to him and he told him, you must be born again. I'm born again. We are born again believers, but we understand this truth and we are interacting with those who are not. So before we say any more, let's go ahead and get into this text and see what Paul has to say to Timothy as it applies not only to the church in Timothy in his day, but also for us today as well. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Amen. As we take all these verses this morning and put them into one sentence, that sentence will state this. The contrarian view of the gospel is salvation by self. The contrarian view of the gospel or the contrarian view to the gospel is salvation by self. See, if you don't adhere to grace alone, faith alone, and Jesus alone and understand that this was given to you by God, you take the contrarian view which says, I can save myself. Let's start off right here with verses 1 and 2. See, in Paul's case, he is an apostle because he spent time physically with Jesus. So when we look at Paul being an apostle, it's because he physically spent time with Jesus. That was the encounter when he was on the road, and he was approached by Christ himself. And this was actually a command of God, if you notice here in the text. This isn't Paul 
saying that this is what he wanted to have happen. No, this was a command by God for him to have this authority. However, not by God only. Because what else does he go on to say? Of Jesus Christ, our hope. Brothers and sisters, Paul starts off this letter with two things that are vital. First, he starts off with salvation. We should get to salvation early and often. And he also starts off with hope. That's the first thing he starts off with, salvation and hope. He reminds us, he's reminding Timothy, salvation is from God and your hope is in Jesus. Now the second thing that he also establishes something that we just talked about, his authority. He let it be known that he was an apostle because he spent time physically with Jesus, but also this is a command from God himself. Basically what Paul is saying to Timothy is this. He's saying, Timothy, everything within this letter pertains to salvation and hope. At the end of the day, when you take all the details and you lump them into something very simple to understand, everything I'm writing to you has everything to do with your hope in Jesus and your salvation for all of eternity. Now, Paul uses interesting language, though, because he says, Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, it's interesting that he's saying this to Timothy because Timothy was much younger, so he could have actually maybe potentially been his father, but Timothy was raised by his mother and grandmother. He didn't know his father, or at least in Scripture, we're not led to believe that he did. So Paul's almost like a father figure to Timothy, but really what he's saying when he says, my true child in the faith, really what he's doing, he's saying, I am his spiritual father figure, but he's my true child because he understands Timothy has been discipled. Discipleship is very difficult to do. Now, I'm not saying that to let anybody hear off the hook and say, well, I've been trying, it's just so hard. But no, let's, let's face it. I know some of you. I know what you do for a living. I know how you even use your profession to disciple others that are younger than you in the Lord. And you know what I'm talking about. It's not always that easy. Sometimes we feel like we don't get anywhere, but all the while God is faithful and all the while God is working. But right here, Paul clearly is saying, Timothy, yeah, it, it stuck with him. That's the reason why I'm writing this letter to encourage you, even as a young leader. Don't let them look down on you because you know where your salvation came from. And you know who your hope is. And you're my true child in the faith. You've been discipled. And I am confident that you are walking with the Lord. I'm confident that you can teach others how to walk in the Lord like I do. So that's the reason why Paul's saying this. Now, when we move on to verses 3 through 5, there are three types of people who should be excluded from church leadership. And that's really what Paul's getting to here. He's, he's actually showing those who aren't Timothy to Timothy and saying, this is what we need to watch out for. And, and basically, the, the first type of person who should never be involved in church leadership. And unfortunately, there's many churches that have men just like this. And unfortunately, as it pertains to leadership, women as well. But you know what we're going to get to in, in this letter when it comes to that anyway. Paul is going to clearly in the next chapter, spell out to us the female role and the male role within the church. I'm not going to get into that too much, but watch out for these men, men who add to the gospel, men who might give you the gospel and say, yeah, it's by faith alone and Christ alone, but 
you also need to do this and that and this and that. So that's gospel or Jesus plus. He's telling Timothy in this letter, watch out for those men who might preach Jesus, but then tack some things on extra that you need to do extra hoops in order to please God. Again, I'm going to keep referencing this. His righteousness, his faith, it all belongs to him, right? If you get that song stuck in your head this week, remember that. Those who promote legalism, that would be the second on the list here. Legalism is very simple. It is, I don't do this so God is happy and proud of me. Or I do do this and God is happy and proud of me. Basically, it's the same thing as gospel plus. It comes back to me. I did this. I earned that. That's not how the gospel works. Third, he's calling out those who proclaim special knowledge. There are plenty of those out there. And I would warn you to be very careful of who you watch on TV because they are all over TV. Be very careful. Special knowledge, like God said something special to them outside of here, and then they're going to tell you what he said. It doesn't work like that. Here at Villa's Grace Church, it is the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. We preach and teach from the Bible. There is no, well, I had a conversation with God on the way in this morning, and he wanted me to tell you, it doesn't work like that. The whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. See, heresies, rumors, and defections are, are not new to the church, though. It isn't like these are new things. Obviously, this letter was written a long time ago, but they're not new. They've been around, actually, forever. Remember, this was written 30 years, about 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So within 30 years, heresy already crept into the church. But heresy's always been, church. I think you could argue that heresy was in the garden with Satan. Did God really say you would die? These aren't new tricks. The tactics may change from here to there. The bottom line is this. If Paul was correcting unsound doctrine 30 years after Jesus... What do you think we should be doing as well? Now, I'm not saying we run around and correct all those who are unsound. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we got to get what's sound down. We need to know the gospel. We need to be able to articulate and understand that salvation is based upon the work of Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Unfortunately... I know a number of people, I would go as far as saying a plethora of people who have been going to church for years and don't even know that. They think their faith and salvation is based upon something that they have done. No. Once God's truth is received, our adversary introduces what's false. And that's the reference in the garden. God gave a command to Adam and Eve, told them what to do, what not to do. And then right there, our adversary was there to be a contrarian. Just look at the Western church today. It's in a sad state of affairs. The, the church in 
When I say Western church, I'm talking about primarily the United States, Western culture. It's in a bad state. I mean, whole denominations now. Whole denominations that were once thought to be the stalwarts of evangelical Christianity now have former presidents being accused of this, that, and the third, taking views that are contrary to the gospel. But ultimately, what are they doing? It's no different than what we learned this morning in Ezekiel in our Sunday school class. Ezekiel, a prophet. It was said in our lesson that four out of five prophets preached one message one way. Ezekiel was the fifth that preached an opposite message. Four out of five prophets before Christ basically preached a message of tolerance and acceptance. That's what a lot of churches are preaching now, tolerance and acceptance. It's the reason why you see a rainbow flag today and don't always think of the promise. See, we're being retrained and rewired to think otherwise, aren't we? Not saying that we support that type of behavior, not saying that whatsoever, but my first thought when I see that is what that person who put that flag up wants me to think when I see it. They want me to understand that they're proud and they have pride in their immoral behavior. We're being retrained here down a path of tolerance and acceptance. Destruction was coming. That's what Ezekiel was doing. He was warning in the first section. 33% of the book of Ezekiel is him warning them of what is coming. Church, that's exactly what Paul's doing here in 1 Timothy. We're being warned, and we better know sound doctrine along the way. Brothers and sisters, there is only one truth. It's the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible, man's truth or God's truth. It's either or. I'm going to err on God's truth each and every time because the goal of the believer is to, as it says, love. But the love must come from a very specific source. What's that specific source that we see right here in the text? Even though we're saying these things that are counter to culture and how culture rolls, we still need to love. But we can't just love. We need to love from what? What does it say? A pure heart. Therefore, a pure heart will not tolerate sinful behavior. And a pure heart will not accept sinful behavior. This is because a pure heart comes from God, was solidified by Jesus, and is resided in by the Holy Spirit. How can your heart be pure if you accept and tolerate immoral behavior and practices that we see? But we need to have a pure heart, but then go love from that source. I read an account this week of a young couple that was expecting a baby, much similar to to Mike and Zara right now. And it was said that this man, the, the, the husband, would go into work, and everybody kept on asking them, like, how's your wife doing? You know, how's she feeling? Is there any new news? And he was just like, this is strange. Like, these people never ask me about myself, and now all of a sudden, they keep asking, asking me about my wife and her upcoming pregnancy. Well, it, it all seemed so sincere and caring until he learned that his office had a betting pool on the delivery date. So I don't know if they really cared, did they? They're motivated by the dollar to win. So I just, Zara, how you doing? <laughs> I mean, any new news, anything? I told you back, hey, 
Ryan, I told you, I'm going to win. No, I'm joking. Let's look at verses 6 and 7 here. See, as we see in verse 6, when it's not from a pure heart, one has wandered away into vain discussion. See, vain discussion does not promote the love of others. It promotes the elevation of one's own ego. Vain discussion does not promote God's truth. It promotes tolerance and acceptance. Because the more you tolerate and accept, the more people will like you. And that inflates your own pride. There's a theme going on there now, isn't it? Huh, pride comes before the what? Yeah. Church, we're, we're, we've been warned. I mean, the red flags are obvious. We, we can see this. It's, it's all over. This is the opposite of love. That's not love at all. The world might pass it off as love, but it's not love. That's not true love. If I have mustard on my face, tell me I have mustard on my face. That's love. David, you had powdered donuts all over your face this morning. I just chose to tell you in front of everybody else. But you understand what I'm saying? I would rather have you tell me I have mustard on my face than to just tolerate and accept it so that I will like you. It's not about that. This church is a church that stands behind no, grow, go. How are we going to know the Lord and grow in Him and then go share Him if we don't hold one another accountable. Please keep that in mind. We are stronger together. Strength comes in numbers when it comes to that. But we must also remind ourselves what Scripture says. When we share that truth, it's always in love, and then tag it into what we see this morning. It has to come from a source that's a pure heart. And this is one of the greatest challenges the church has faced in the past. This is actually one of the greatest challenges that the church will face here in the present, and rest assured, this is one of the greatest challenges the church will face in the future. This is not new stuff. We do not love others well when we tolerate and accept sinful behavior. It's really just that simple. And that allows us to say this. You can write these down and you fill in the blanks. God's truth is always accompanied by love. God's truth is always accompanied by love. Now, here's the thing. That's going to be on the screen for you here in a second. But when we say that, what we, we need to understand is this. We have to understand that everything that we do better lead to salvation. So if we want to share something with somebody else that they need to hear, understand that eternity is our motivating factor for doing so. It's not to be right. That gets us involved in the vain discussion. It's for us to share the only way to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ. As we move along to verses 8 through 10, we see Paul write, we know that the law is good. See, that's good. He's talking about the Decalogue. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. And the law really has four primary purposes, if you want to be general with it. See, the Ten Commandments reveals sin. So when you look at the Ten Commandments, you should see your own sin being revealed and then understand that you have no ability to save yourself. That's first and foremost. Also, when we see the Ten Commandments, we should understand that we're imprisoned by our sin. See, that is something that we need to understand, that really sinful behavior, though it may be fun for a moment, it's really like being incarcerated. We're enslaved to that. It's also to represent guardianship. 
to show us that there is salvation through Jesus. And when we see it now through this side of the cross, we can see and have hope in the second coming of Jesus. But also the Ten Commandments is meant to teach us. And when we allow the Ten Commandments to teach us, it should remind us of our need for Jesus. We don't graduate from that class. That's a school that I keep going to each and every day. Each and every day we should all continually be reminding ourselves of how much we need Jesus. However, the law is only good if it's used, as it says right here. What does it say? Lawfully. So my question would be when I read this is, how does one use the law in a lawful manner? How can we do this lawfully? See, we can do this by allowing the law to reveal your salvation and hope in Jesus. First and foremost, that is paramount. But we also must understand that we cannot save ourselves, which is why it says the law is not laid down for the just. It's not laid down for those who are doing a good job on their own. It has nothing to do with that. See, the law is for, as it says, the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to what? Sound doctrine. Sounds like, sounds like the, the law is for you, and it sounds like the law's for me. It sounds like the law's really for all of us, doesn't it? I mean, none of us are free and clear. I mean, those two verses I just read, 9 and 10, well, we're guilty, right? That should also be our approach when we approach somebody in love, to understand our own guilt within that. Remember, our contrarian from the outset too, right? God's truth says the rainbow is a promise. That's what God's truth says. The world or the contrarian says it represents tolerance and acceptance. Now, I'm not going to guarantee this, but if we preached a message of tolerance and acceptance, this church would be much larger than what it is. I'm not saying how much larger, but it would be larger. And I'm not saying we're a small, modest church because we don't either. I think that'd be foolish for us to say. But there are far more people in this world that want to have their sinful behavior tolerated and accepted. And we must remember there was a point in time where we were no different. We no longer take that contrarian view, do we? So as Joe comes up and joins me, I just want to share this. And one of the reasons, you know, I think I'm so passionate. And one of the reasons why we do expository preaching and teaching here at Villa's Grace Church is because those last two verses I read, those are verses that you're going to see pastors sidestep. They're not going to want to talk about that stuff. I mean, they see homosexuality, sexual immorality. They're not, they're not going to touch that because they want people to feel accepted and tolerated so they can continue to be in a relationship with them. But that's no relationship at all. The only relationship that matters is our relationship with the Lord that lasts for all of eternity. And so when I say that, I want to share this with you. One of the reasons why I'm so passionate with it is because of how I grew up. 
I grew up in a First United Methodist Church. I was confirmed Methodist. Hope and I were married in the church that I was basically born into. And in that church, the choir director was openly homosexual, and it wasn't but a matter of time before they started to allow him to have his picture taken in the church directory each year with his significant other. I still think, looking back now, how did they allow him to be in leadership having that open sin? But see, that's what tolerance and acceptance gets us. I mean, to, to, to raise a young child and, and to indoctrinate them in a church like that, you can now see and understand where things are heading in this world. So before we end, let's just look at verse 11 here. When you look at verse 11, understand the gospel is glorious because it's founded on grace. His righteousness, His faithfulness. That's the gospel. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works so no man can boast. So even when we look at contrarians of sound doctrine, we should understand that we were once contrarians too. And when we understand that, we have a much better chance of loving from a pure heart. See, God's grace saves us from lawlessness and disobedience. God's grace saves us from eternal condemnation. And there is our bird. I told you, Joe plays the piano and the bird comes. God's grace saves us from us. That's the most important thing. You want to love from a pure heart? Understand that God's grace has saved you from yourself. The gospel of glory is a message of forgiveness. And that's something of which we all need. So this brings us to our second and final point this morning. The law reveals God's grace, not condemnation. The law reveals God's grace, not condemnation. Condemnation as in being condemned to hell for all of eternity. That's not the purpose of the law. The law is to reveal the grace of God. We also said that God's truth is always accompanied by love. That's something that we can never forget. And again, our main idea this morning stated that the contrarian view of the gospel is salvation by self. Brothers and sisters, as we venture through 1 Timothy, let's all be challenged to find encouragement in our salvation and hope that's only found in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to freely be able to open your word and proclaim the good news of Christ. As a body of believers, I pray that we can love in a way that brings others to a saving faith in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name who has made it possible. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.